0: life. And now, for our speaker.
1: Well, this morning, I want to uh, start by bringing you all into the exciting world of estuaries. Now, what is an estuary, you may ask? Calm down. I'm going to tell you. I can already see you're jumping at this. So don't worry, I'm gonna let you know. An estuary is what we call the body of water that multiple streams run into, then turning that multiple streams into one flow that usually feeds into an ocean. Now I know what you're thinking. Captain, this is clearly riveting information. And I'm on the edge of my seat by the second. Well, just for you, here's a little bit more information about them. The largest and probably the most famous estuary in the United States is the Chesapeake Bay, at about 4,500 square miles. It's huge. It is massive. And as you can see in the picture that's there, this particular bay, has several streams that feed into the actual Bay Area. So you can see there in that picture, it is, it's is—it's not small, and there are a lot of streams from multiple directions that are flowing into it. And then it is going into the Bay, going all the way down, and it's entering into the ocean. Now, what you can't see from this picture, what you're not seeing... From this wonderful satellite image of the Chesapeake Bay that I took last night in my helicopter, I'm just kidding, that I got off Google, is what is taking place, what is happening to the water as it travels? See, what is happening is that from those streams, all of that water is fresh, fresh water. You see, this little bay area is where fresh and salt collide. This is where they come together, permanently changing fresh to salt. And as the water is getting closer and closer down to the ocean, the water itself is getting saltier and saltier. And why am I telling you this all today? Why am I sharing a picture of the Chesapeake Bay? Because I just knew you'd be that interested for one. But two, is the reason why is because this is the area, this bay, this estuary, if you will, is really where most of us find ourselves in our spiritual life. Is the place where fresh and salt water collide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to, to just open your word. To take what James has written down and to dissect and see what it means for us today. That the words in this topic, Lord, speak to us. Lord, make it clear, make it just evident that your Holy Spirit is guiding us, guiding this church guiding our individual hearts and our souls that when we leave from this place that we are a sharper person, a sharper image of you to the world. Father, I pray now that as I present and in my study, the Lord, if anything I say isn't true, then to correct me on the spot. And to, Lord, only your gospel be spoken, only that be presented today. So Father, We go into this time seeking after you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue our journey now in James at the top of chapter 3, and uh, just a reminder, just a brief disclaimer as we jump into this chapter is just in case you're joining us for the very first time. The intended audience of James, when he wrote down the words in this, what we would call the book of James in this letter, the intended audience were those who were already believers in Jesus Christ. They had already professed that they believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that they are gathering in his name. And James wrote this letter for those individuals. That's why he's talking is the way he's talking. He's talking to those who are already in the family, like the way we talk in our family. We don't talk that way to strangers. We don't talk that, when you're in the family, there's kind of this, we kind of understand that you can kind of just be a little sharp sometimes, right? You know, what, that's what Thanksgiving is for. No, 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> is that there's a, we understand that I can talk to my wife, you know, more than I did. You know, we get it. That's why James is writing in this manner. It's for the believer. And so this is his audience. However, if you yourself are not a believer, you're, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to do. I still want you to lean in. Lean in. And I want you to see what this is all about. I want you to see what Jesus has commanded us. And I also want you to know that there's something in here today for you as well. Now, let's get to it. Let's see what James has to write, what was on his mind on this day when he wrote down these words. So chapter 3 starts with an issue that has plagued the church since the beginning, the very beginning. In fact, this issue has been a human issue from the birth of man. And this is the issue, of course, of our tongue. Of the things we say. What comes out of our mouth. That this has been an issue of mankind since the beginning. It wasn't me, God. It was her. From the very beginning. We've been already, from our tongue, have been using it improperly. Now James starts his talk on this particular subject actually really diving into a group of people that rely on their tongues the most. He wanted to bring an example into into this picture before he just started going into it. So he brought up those who are teachers of the Word of God. He brought them into this talk those who are teachers, and when he begins to speak in the beginning of chapter 3, he doesn't start the talk with a pat on the back necessarily with these individuals. But instead, he says right out of the gate in chapter verse 1, he immediately writes down, not many of you should presume to be teachers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. So right off the bat, he's laying down the expectation and the standard of being a teacher of God's word. Now, you may read this in chapter 3. It may be saying that, that James is telling us, don't be a teacher. Don't do it. Run. Don't do it. This is not what he's saying. This would be incorrect on what he is trying, the message he's getting across. Instead, James is saying that being a teacher should be given serious thoughts serious consideration, because teachers will be judged on what they teach. Now this should not be surprising to us. This shouldn't be taking us back hearing those words. Regardless of the field itself, teachers are always judged more by what they teach. In the public school system, for example, there is standardized testing to see if the teacher did their job. They. Are always being evaluated by the administration at the school districts. Parents are constantly questioning the material. And the teachers are always getting it from different angles about what they are teaching. And I know this because my mom was a school teacher for 24 years. And I and she have been through it all, from the evaluations to the standardized testing to the parents to you fill in the blank. A teacher is always, always, always being judged more because they're in charge of transferring information into young minds, particularly in the school district. And the same is within the church, except that James is saying there's one more thing that teachers in the church, those who are teaching God's Word, are also going to be judged on. Not just the content Not just that alone, but James is saying that you too will be judged by your character. That your character must match what you're teaching. They both have to align in order for there to be fruit is when we're teaching and our character must be in line. Now it is my belief as I also think it is James's as well to say that God will judge us all based on our influence over others. And this is not just talking about the guy behind the pulpit right here, even though I do believe that the guy that is standing here will be judged very strictly when that time comes. Uh, something I take very serious, in fact, um, as I know that that day is coming. But I do believe that each of us will be judged based over those we have influence over, regardless of where we're standing. This is why James brings this up. A teacher of the word must have the character, the maturity, and the humility to back up the teaching. We must have those things. My request of my church Please hear, please hear me when I say this. That my request of my church is if any of you ever, ever see that my character is not in line to the actual teaching and scripture of Jesus Christ, or if I, have, I ever lose my humility toward the scripture and start to think that I'm more important than I really am, please rebuke me. Please rebuke me. I know, don't don't just watch as my soul deteriorates away, but instead I know that I am going to be judged before God and I'd rather receive that judgment before you, before Him. I'm just telling you the truth, that as your teacher, and understand when I sat down and wrote this, I kind of had me on mind a little bit, Uh, because I know this is what I do every week. And I want you to know, I don't think I'm more important than the Bible and to the Scripture. I've dedicated my life to trying my absolute best to interpret this in a way that is understandable for us today to live our lives. And if anyone, I'm I'm serious, if any time, if Captain's getting too big for his britches, as my mom would say, knock me down. Remind me it's Jesus, not Captain. Captain not captain. And when you see me, my prayer is you see him. That's my prayer. And there are times, by the way, when I get up here and I may not get it right. Some of you let me know that. Thank you. Because I know it's not coming from evil or spite. It's coming from a heart of love. There are times I come up and maybe I miss the mark just a little bit. And you come and speak into my life to encourage me. Thank you for that. But I'm not the only one in this room that's called to teach either. That my job alone in this church is not to be the teacher of your households. We come here on Sunday morning And we come and we focus in on a word that I feel God has given us to share with you. But when you go back home, you are the teachers of your home. You're the ones that pray with your children. You're the ones that teach them the word. I just want you to know that we are all teachers of the word. That was a side note. That wasn't in there. Amen. So I do think and believe that the judgment will come and we just need to be ready for it because we understand that God isn't judging us because he can't wait to smite us or to bring us down, but instead is that he he wants us to understand the importance of his truth, of his word to this world. The world is counting on us to be an example of his light so that they too can be set free and so why does James talk about teachers here? Why does he spend a lot of time on teachers at this subject? Because there is a direct correlation between teaching and using our tongue. They go together, right? We've got to use it to teach, but we also use it to build character around what we're teaching. And James says here in the scripture that it is a sign of maturity is the man who controls his tongue. A man who can control the tongue is a sign of a mature teacher, knowing when to speak and when not to speak. You see, there are times when we need to use our tongue for social justice, that we need to speak up for those who do not have a voice, who are not able to speak up, and this is what God has called the church to do. But then there are also times when we need to stop talking. And listen, and listen. You see, we are living in a world that has to talk louder than the other side. This is it. everyone wants to be on top, to do whatever they, they can to stay one step ahead than the next guy. They have to always have the last word. This is the world we live in, loud and angry. The the, the church is absolutely, no, no doubt about it, guilty of this from time to time as well. That we are trying sometimes as the church to use the same language the world is using to talk to them, which is loud and angry and sometimes unclean with pride. When we know full well, that Jesus himself said, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Our tongue is a small part of our body, but it is like a rudder of a boat or a bit inside of a horse's mouth, James says. It steers the direction that we're going. It steers it. And so James says that if our tongue isn't controlled, if we can't tame it or control it or, or stop it from its tracks, if we can't hold off our gossip or our slander or our anger or our, our uncleanliness from the things that we say, then our little tongue will become a spark that will ignite an entire forest, Scripture says. It will corrupt the entire body. This little muscle right here will corrupt the entire body, the Scripture says. That you may be doing good actions, the things that you're doing are good. You're serving. You're helping. You're doing these things. But people can only see and hear what your tongue is doing. That what you say doesn't match with what you're doing, even if it is good. For some reason, we tend, as a society, to put the value on the tongue. What are they saying? I I know what they're doing. What are they saying? And this has become more evident than I think ever in human history within the last 20 years, when social media came into existence. You see, how many times have we have met someone I'll I'll say in person. I mean, that's real life. But if we met someone in person and then we become friends or whatever, fill in the blank version of that on social media, and then you see them online and that's not the same person. I don't know who that is. That's not what I'm seeing at church or at work or wherever. Two completely separate people. And you see, when James wrote this chapter three, when he wrote this, He only had to deal with the actual tongue of people. Make no mistake. Make no mistake that taming the tongue applies to your thumbs as well. That it applies to that as well. Because this is where we talk most of the time. Is right here. And he kind of makes an interesting observation in verse 7, James does. He says that mankind, throughout history, since the beginning of time, has been able to successfully tame animals, birds, reptiles, he's writing this, even fish. That man has successfully tamed fish, but have yet been able to tame the tongue. That the reality That a wild animal is more easily tamed than the human tongue. is what James writes down. And he says that the tongue cannot, he writes it there clearly, that the tongue cannot be tamed by man. And that it is full of deadly poison, our tongue. Now the reality, this is it right here. This is our sin nature coming out. It's coming out before all of us. And the things when we open our mouth, the action it's our sin nature. And James is saying that sin nature cannot be tamed by man. It cannot be tamed by us. That the things that we say can be poison infecting others when we open our mouth. But notice, notice here that the Scripture didn't say that it could not be tamed. Just that man couldn't do it. The tongue can be brought under the power of the Holy Spirit. That our tongue can be used just like that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. That when our tongue is on fire, it's not to bring poison to others on the outside, but it's burning all of our iniquities on the inside. That our tongue can be used once again to be a source of life for other people and for ourselves. Our tongue is evidence. What we say is evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. This is how they know we serve God. It's through the things we say. That God can take what is full of poison and use it to bring life. To bring life. What is your tongue bringing today? What is it bringing? And James says that it is with our tongue, the believer's tongue, that we often gather like we did today, this morning, and we sing out the praises of our Lord. That when we hear the crescendos of the music and we can feel the Spirit moving our tongue, shouts out that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then James says it's with that same tongue you look to your brother and curse him with it. That when you and I, you and I, when we use our tongue to lift praises unto the Lord, when we sing holy, 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 That this is the highest calling that our tongue can ever be used for is by uttering the name of Jesus. That when we say Jehovah, that this is the highest calling for our tongue. And in fact, our tongue, when we say his name, it gives us strength. Because our tongue was actually created to know him from the very beginning. That from the very beginning, when we open Genesis, that our tongue was in direct communication with God. He knows God. But instead, through the times, we, man, have used our tongue and removed it from the presence of God. And we have lowered it down to be used for its lowest point, which is the curse of our brothers and our sisters. We've cursed Republicans and Democrats and we curse anti-vaxxers and pro-vaxxers and maskers and demaskers and this, that, and yada, yada, yada. We curse and we curse and we curse and we curse with our tongue. But don't worry. We're in good company. Because you see, even Peter himself used his mouth to say that he is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. I follow you anywhere. I'll leave it all behind. Tell me, teacher, what do you want for me? And it was with that same tone he said, I don't know him. Be gone from me, I don't know him. And cursed the name of Jesus. Out of our mouths come both praise and curse. And James says that it cannot be. It cannot be. Our mouths should be like fresh water, a source of life. Ah, this brings us to his final point, to his closing statement on this issue. Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? No. No, only fresh water produces fresh water. Unless it enters an estuary, it's back. See, the water always flows in an estuary in a unique direction every time. See, it starts in the streams, and it starts fresh, life-giving, and it always flows downward into the bay always into a mixture. And it's then, once it hits those waters, those, those slight mixture of saltiness where it collides, is when the fresh water just slowly starts to become contaminated with the salts. And then by the time it gets all the way down to the bottom, it is completely salt water being fed into the ocean. There is absolutely for this water, no going back. Once the salt starts to take over, the water only gets saltier and saltier. There actually is no place on earth that actually has the flow backwards. Where it starts salt, it works its way toward fresh. It's always the other way around, going from fresh feeding into the salty ocean. And that this, of course, is the reality that it's is no longer a source of life, but now is water that is being fed out into the ocean. And there are too many of us that live in a spiritual estuary that we can absolutely start tasting the salt in our mouth. That you're noticing that what you're saying or what you're writing are things that aren't like you anymore. This isn't who I am. That's not, not who I'm about. You're always angry. And you can just slowly taste the salts coming closer and stronger and stronger. And you can't can't think of anything nice to say about anyone anymore. And then you always, always have to have the last word. Friends, I want to tell you now that these are not signs of fruit of the Spirit. These are signs of contamination, of salt. That's coming into the fresh spring. And it's important to realize and to know and recognize when salt is getting in. But there is something. You may be thinking, well, well, Captain, it doesn't go the other way. Once salt comes in and gets contaminated, how do I? You said yourself, it only goes saltier from there. Water doesn't flow the opposite direction. You're right, it doesn't. You're right, it doesn't flow the opposite direction. But there is something, there is someone who can make it happen. You see, there is no natural way. The only way for water to be made fresh again is you have to go and remove it from its environment. And then you have to go and purify the water as it drips down. And once it's gone through the purification process, removing all of the impurities, all of the salt, all of the elements, all of the stuff that doesn't make it life-giving, once all of that has been through, now the result is life-giving water. it. Call on the name of Jesus, and this is what he can do for you. That he can remove you from the environment that only produces salt. And he can purify your hearts. Now, don't get me wrong. The process of purification may not always be easy. I know. In fact, even in life, when we take salt water to purify it, it doesn't happen fast. There are things that maybe we have to go and reconcile with our brothers and sisters. Things that we've said that that don't represent the cross. Maybe there's forgiveness that we must go seek from within the church because we've hurt each other. That this purification process has to take place in order for there to be healing and for forgiveness to be. Because you see, when we follow Jesus, we're not following him just for us, but we're following him for all. That when people see us and they see what Christ can do through us, then they too can realize, I want that. I want a piece of that. And so your purification process is for the glory of the Lord. For the glory of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you that sometimes it is painful. It does hurt. But we have to do it so that way we can stay in the water, the fresh water. If we want to be close to what gives us life, then we have to continually remove what wants to come in. It wants to push us down closer to the salt. But you say, no. I have to stay by the source, by this fresh water. This is the life that you and I are called to live. And I really wish I could say it gets easier than that. But clearly James just wrote, it doesn't. We will always battle our tongue. But my, as your teacher, as your pastor, my last comment on that will be to always, always seek the fresh water the source of life. What are you today? Are you living life in fresh water or are you starting to taste the salts, And it doesn't taste good. Father, this is our prayer. Is that we're constantly seeking For you to change our heart. You've called us to, to live clean and pure lives in a very difficult world. Or maybe we start to experience salt, start tasting it in our mouth, maybe run back to the source. Go and surround ourselves with our brothers and sisters for accountability. Just say, I don't want to, I don't want to be pushed further down the stream. but Lord I just pray now over over everyone in this church. You can hear our voice in person online today or later on, Lord just what doesn't matter that uh, just that we keep our focus on you. And Lord may our obedience may our, our maturity. May that help lead others to that same source, that same water that God just, that each of us experience like the lady at the well, just you standing there saying, oh, you're so thirsty, but I can bring you, bring you just water that you'll never thirst for again. Lord, we want that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just be careful little eyes what you see, little ears what you hear, little tongues what you say, and little thumbs what you write.
0: Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, Be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.